Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the reminder of, from those words that you are enough for us. And uh, God, we come to this place, and, and some of us come, we come with fears, with doubts, maybe with hurt, some with great joy, some with great pain. And God, in all things, we want to be people who understand and learn and continue to grow and, and discovering what life in you means, and that means that you are enough that you are enough for every situation. And so we make that our prayer this morning and our proclamation and ask that you would move in this place and let your presence and your spirit be known for all of us here. And God, would you draw our hearts closer to you as we continue with our, our service, as we look into your word, God, let this be about you. We'll give you this time now in your name, amen. Well, thank you, uh, Pastor Toby, for leading us in the worship band. What a great time to... Uh, amazing time. Uh, my name is Ryan. I, I'm new here. Uh, <laughs> it's been a while. I, I, I want to, um, as we get started here, just want to thank you uh, as a church, just uh, again for uh, allowing me and releasing me to kind of enjoy this summer a little bit. For those of you who know, I, I had the privilege of uh, being one of the coaches on our uh, Encinitas Little League team that made it to the World Series this year and uh, the Junior World Series. And, and has, yeah, it's, um, it was a great experience, obviously, to be there and just to be among other teams. And, and, and uh, um, you know, I, there's not much you can say about it, but I do want to just say thank you to all of you and to our elders who, at the beginning of the summer, I, I said to the elders, hey, I'm coaching this team, and I think we're really good, and it's possible that my whole summer is going to be messed up because we're good enough, and they said, um, sure, and uh, <laughs> actually, they said, you know what? Enjoy the experience. We want you to be a part of it, and, and don't even worry about it. Uh, one of the reasons we have a teaching team at this church is, is, is for things like that, and, and it was great. Um, we, we made it as far as we could possibly make it, so I guess you know, we came up a little short. Uh, some of you asked, you know, it's, it's one of those things, we just said, we just want to get there. Then you get there, and you start getting greedy. And you look around and say, like, wait, we're better than these teams. And uh, so we, we did end up eventually losing to a team who I still think we're better than, but that's okay. Um, third in the United States was okay for us, right, for a bunch of beach kids. So, uh, but I, I will say one of the... Um, <laughs> One of the things about it is, is we got to play, we played this team from, uh, from Texas, and uh, they had, um, they were representing what's called the Southwest region. I don't know how we're not Southwest, but they are. But, um, so we played the Southwest region, and they, they had t-shirts that said, best in the West, and, and um, we eliminated them, and so just said, you know, <laughs> we just kind of said, like, well, well, we'll see who's actually best in the West. There's only um, one West hat, and we're the best in the West, so there you go. Um, <laughs> Okay, enough, enough of that bragging about it. It was, it was, really, it was really a joy and um, a, a great time to be there with, with all of that. And, and one of the things that we value here at the church is we want to be people who shine the light of Jesus in the community. And we believe that we are all sent on mission. So whether you are at work or with your neighbors, the people, the stores that you shop in, 
as you coach, as you sit on the sidelines cheering, as you volunteer in the classrooms, we are on mission. We all are joining with God in what he's doing. And sometimes when you work in a church, you need something to intentionally get you outside. And and I just happen to love baseball and have the opportunity. So that's my way of just saying I want to be in the community and try to coach in a way that Jesus would. Um, He probably would be able to steal signs better than I could, but I I still want to coach like he would, encourage like he would, love like he would. And, and so it was fun for me to spend my entire summer and some vacation time with a bunch of 14-year-old boys in Michigan. What, you know, I mean, who wouldn't want to go to Michigan on your vacation? So, um, <laughs> sorry, I don't we have some people from Michigan here. But um, it was fun to be able to represent and really try to do it in a way that we think is honoring to God. In fact, on the flight home, we were on different flights. My wife was flying home and sitting next to a a, a gentleman who they started talking about why we were in Detroit and what we were doing there, and she explained part of the World Series, and then somehow got to talking about my, that I was a pastor, and he was like, wait a minute, so you're pa- you have a pastor who's also coaching baseball? And, and his whole paradigm was this, that people who work at the church are not in touch with the community. He thought like, well, don't they just do their holy things and stay away from, from everyone else? And he literally was blown away, and he said, and he said he was a Christian, but doesn't attend church anymore because he just felt like they're so out of touch. And, and by Sarah having this conversation with him, here's a, a gentleman going on a business trip, sitting next to her, and he starts crying and saying, like, I didn't, because she just said, you know, you're in the wrong churches, if that's what you believe. And, and that God, and, and just kind of was able to share with him that, no, God cares about all these other areas in your life. And, and he was in tears. She just said, you need to get, you need to find a better church. And, and I just think even if the whole experience was for one person to be reconnected in their faith, uh, that's worth it. So um, it, was, it was fun. So again, I do want to say thank you for that. And, you know, it is a joy to be able to be gone and have, be able to trust the staff at this church, which I have no, I didn't worry about it at all. You're in such great hands. And then our teaching team, Dale and, and Matt, the last couple of weeks did such an amazing job that um, I, I had to talk to Matt about it and said, hey, can you not be so good? Um, <laughs> Because, you know, they're going to want me to leave more often if you keep doing that. And, and so, but it, it was a joy for me to be able to listen online and listen and watch the messages and say, wow, you know, this church is not built on me, it's built on Jesus Christ. And as long as we are uh, teaching and preaching him, that's what matters. So. so enough about that for now. Let, it, let us open our Bibles. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. And then as well as we're going to be a little bit in the book of Acts chapter 16. So I'll give you a little time to find those. Uh, We are, uh, this is our our last Sunday of the summer, if you will, um, as we're wrapping up our series through the book of Philippians. And I know a lot of you who have kids in school, this is, you know, this is like a great weekend for you, right? So um, some of our kids started school in the last couple weeks and the rest, I believe, start um, in the next couple days, and so we truly get our freedom back And um, as our kids go. But we want to wrap up this summer. We want to wrap up our study in the book of Philippians here this morning. And one of the things that we chose this book originally is the book of Philippians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians in a town called Philippi, which is a, a, roughly in modern-day Greece. And it's a group of people that were trying to figure out what did it mean and what does it look like to be followers of Jesus? 
What does it mean to have their new life and identity in Christ? So we see throughout the book that we've been studying all summer long, Paul is giving practical instructions. He's talking about what life in Christ looks like. And he talks about the theme of joy. We see the theme of peace pop up over and over again. We see uh, just instructions for what it looks like when we're godly living. And this is all rooted in a new life in Christ. So he's writing to people who are saying, hey, we want to figure this thing out. And so this morning what we want to do is we've studied through all the passages, but we want to just kind of recap the overarching theme of this idea of life in Christ. And I want you to point something out here in Philippians chapter 1. In verse 1, as he starts off, Paul is writing, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, and that's a, a normal greeting. And then he says this, to all the saints, which is Christians, it's those who claim to, they believe in Jesus, to all who are Christians who are in Christ Jesus who live in Philippi. He starts off, and he, the very first thing that he says is, those of you who are saints and, and, and Christians, you are in Christ Jesus. And this is a theme that is now carried throughout the book for the whole time. You have a new life in Christ Jesus. And if it's, your life is in Christ, that means it's no longer in yourself. It's not in your works it's not in your pedigree. It's not in the things you've accomplished or things you will accomplish. It's not in the ways that you will fail in the future or the ways you've failed in the past. It's not in your shame. It's not in anything. Your new life is in Christ. And he wants us to understand from the very beginning that we're talking about life in Christ. Here at Seacoast, we say the purpose, we exist to help you discover life in Christ and learn to follow him. That learn to follow him piece is learning what does it mean to have life in Christ? What does that look like? And that is the book of Philippians. And we find the book of Philippians is actually the one letter that Paul writes where he's not correcting any uh, heresy or any misthoughts. This is the one, the one book that's all encouragement, all saying that, hey, this is what life in Christ looks like. So as we begin this morning, we want to ask the big question, the so what? What does life in Christ mean? And, and that's the main idea for this morning. And now, one way we can also think about it is, what does life that's not in Christ look like? And this pops up throughout the whole book, is when we don't have life in Christ, when we're not experiencing life that's from Christ, we find things like we strive to prove our worth. We're striving to prove our worth to God, for example. Maybe we, we believe that we can be saved by Christ, but, life, but we then think that we need to keep that salvation by living the right way. We think that we need to prove our worth or maybe we need to make up for every failure along the way. That's life outside of Christ because in Christ, when God sees us, he doesn't see a better version of you. He doesn't, God doesn't look down at me and see Ryan who's slightly improving in his life. He doesn't see Ryan who's a messed up, broken person, though that's true. What he sees is he sees a person in Christ and so he sees his son Jesus. And that changes everything. I don't have to prove my worth to God because I know in Christ, when he sees me, he sees Jesus. And so therefore, it frees me from having to strive to improve and to be better. Now, that actually frees me up to want to study scripture, not because somehow God will say, well, great job today, I like you more, but because now it's out of the outpouring of my love and my devotion to him, not to earn it. The other thing that life, our part of Christ is we look for satisfaction in things that often come up short. We look for approval from others. One of the themes that Paul talks about is humility. When we understand our identity in Christ and our life is in Christ, we are actually free to serve others. It's okay. 
We don't need to get anything from that relationship. We, we don't need the approval. Apart from that, we're, we're fighting to make sure that people think highly of us and, and that maybe if I serve this person, maybe I won't get anything in return. And so it actually can be a barrier. But in Christ, we're set free to even serve others and, and, and to live without the approval of others. We're set free from worry. Worry prevents us from trusting that God is good and that he is in control. But when we understand life in Christ, more and more, we can be set free from things like worry. Discontentment. We talked about this last week. Wanting more. It prevents us from believing that Christ is all we need. We start thinking that having stuff and having a a status actually will fulfill something in our heart that we need. Now, stuff and status, they're not always bad things, but it always comes up short. But when we understand more and more what life in Christ is, we're actually free to be generous. We're free to give because we know we're not getting from those things. And so that's what we talk about in life in Christ. Major Ian Thomas once said this. He said, Christ did not die simply that you might be saved from a bad conscience or even to remove the stain of your past failure. But Christ died to clear the decks for a divine action. What this means is what Christ died for was not just so that your conscience is clean, your sins are forgiven, but to actually make you a whole new person, to clear the decks now for divine action, for the life of Christ to be lived out in you through the Spirit of God. And that's what we're talking about here in the book of Philippians. So let's continue on and look at what are the marks of life in Christ that we find throughout this book. What are things that we find? In, is life in Christ. The first thing I see here is this, is it's life in Christ is rooted in grace. The very first thing in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 2, Paul says this, grace to you and peace to God, peace from God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, the unmerited favor of God be poured out on you. We find a theme throughout Scripture from the very beginning, even the Old Testament, some don't believe grace is there, but it's all over the place, is that our life with God comes from Him, and it's His unmerited favor poured out on us. It's the love of God poured out to us. It's based on grace, not something we earn, not something we maintain through our lives, but because of God's grace poured out for us. So our life in Christ is rooted in His grace, in what He gives. In Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, maybe a familiar verse to many of you, says this, We've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. We have his grace that's poured out to us as a gift to us. So our life in Christ begins with God initiating and giving and pouring out. Something we need to always constantly remember as followers of Jesus, that life in Christ is rooted in grace given to us. Now here's the other thing. I believe that the life in Christ, being rooted in grace, means that now we are free to give grace. Our lives in Christ means that we can freely give to others, unmerited favor to others, love poured out on others, whether they deserve it or not. Now, I don't know about you, but I am the type of person who, I feel like I'm a grace-filled person. I'm usually grace-filled, but there's certain times when I'm justice-filled. And I don't always like to pour out unmerited grace on others. I get this little kind of um, sick little pleasure when I see justice show up, especially in little ways. Like you're driving down the freeway and if someone's tailgating you and wants to get around you, they want to go way faster. And when they finally get around, you know what my thought is always? It's never like, you know, God, pour out your unmerited favor and grace on this person. 
you know what, they just need to know your grace. What I always think is like, oh, I hope there's a cop right up there. That'd be so, I can't wait to see that person pulled over up there. I know it's evil in me that I'm not thinking to pour out a merited grace. Uh, one of the uh, kids on our team that we coached with this year, um, we, he sometimes was a challenging personality, but on the way home, our, our seats were scattered on our plane, and, and this kid was assigned a middle seat between two strangers. And, and normally I would feel bad for him, like, oh, we'll try to move you around, get you with your friends. But this little so- piece inside me went like, oh, that's awesome. I, that's going to be so funny. I'm, don't, nobody help him. And I literally was like, don't help him. Just make him sit there and be uncomfortable the whole time. And in fact, one of the other coaches sent me a picture of him sitting between two strangers. He was kind of like this, you know, and something inside me felt really good about that. I, I repented. I prayed. I said, Lord, you know, I've done enough for this boy. Um, he's in your hands now. But so unmerited favor and grace, it doesn't always come naturally. But by having a life in Christ, we're actually free to give to others freely without expecting anything in turn. You know, some of us often, uh, relationships are often based on what we can get. We hear often in our world, what, what's in it for me? Nothing comes for free, right? We hear these kind of phrases. So we live in a transactional world where something unmerited favor given to others is very uncommon. That's not a normal thing. Even think of kids, the way they develop friendships. Often it's what can they get from those friendships? I remember when I was in junior high, uh, a new kid moved into our town, and I, I was living in St. Louis at the time. And I lived in the era, so how many of you also grew up in the era, when you wanted to go somewhere to a friend's house, to a store, to school, to anything, you had to use your legs and walk, your parents didn't drive you? You kind of grew up in that era? Yeah, so, um, you know, nowadays we just drive our kids places. I don't know what happened, but um, it didn't used to work that way. If I'd say, like, hey, my friend lives five miles away, mom, dad, could you drive me there? And they said, do you have legs? Well, yeah, like, they'll work. And so... Um, but so we had to walk everywhere, right? Or ride your bike or ride your skateboard. I love that parents are looking at their kids right now going like, see, I told you. Um, and, and it didn't kill us. Um, but so we had to walk everywhere. Well, one day this new kid moved into town and he showed up on one of those, it was this cherry red Vespa scooter. You know, those little, um, and which I guess at the time when you're 12, I didn't realize it was probably illegal to ride around on the streets, but I didn't care. He pulled up on it and he actually had two of them, I found out. And I looked at that. In fact, one of our staff members here at the church drives a little scooter as well. Um, so maybe you've seen, I like to park my motorcycle right next to it. Sometimes it just makes me feel a little more manly. Um, but anyway, <laughs> but so this kid pulls up and he's new to the neighborhood and he's driving around this little Vespa scooter. And we find out he has two of them and his parents didn't care if we, if we drove them. So it was interesting to see how many people all of a sudden wanted to be his friend. Because it wasn't that we wanted we, we didn't even know him. We just knew, like, we want what he has. That would be awesome to have a scooter because I don't want to walk everywhere. And, and so the friendship started off by people who were, like, actually clamoring to become his friend based on what we could get from it. Now, the long story is that he actually did become one of my best friends, and to this day we're still in contact, and sometimes he lets me drive his scooter. But, um, <laughs> but we often give because we want to get, and that's how we're based, but in a life in Christ, rooted in grace, we're free to give without anything in return. In fact, we're, because God has freely given, we're called to freely give, to freely love, pour out our lives for others. We see that happen in the, in the life of Paul, and I want now to turn back to the book of Acts, chapter 16. 
Because Acts chapter 16, we've, we've addressed part of this story this summer because this is how the church in Philippi began in Acts chapter 16. And we see a picture here of Paul and a guy named Silas who are traveling together and they're bringing the message of Jesus to these people in Philippi. And we saw a few months, uh, weeks ago, the, the, the first convert was, was a, a Christian woman, actually not a Christian at the time, but a businesswoman who's very successful, who became the first Christian there. Probably the first church leader in Philippi was a lady named Lydia. Then the next thing we found was the next convert was actually this 12-year-old slave girl who maybe was possessed by, with a spirit and Paul casts out this demon from her and then her life has changed. So this is the beginnings of a really successful church here, right? And then the very next convert or person who becomes a Christian in the story, I want to look at that here in Acts chapter 16, picking it up in verse 22. Because some people have been starting to become Christians in Philippi but others who were unsure about this new message were, were getting the crowds riled up. And in verse 22 of 16, let's see what happens. The crowd rose up together against Paul and Silas, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding their jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So this is how ch the church planting movement of Paul began. He sees people becoming Christians. The crowds that don't understand rise up against him. They have them beaten with rods. They have them thrown into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. And now stocks there are not like what we see in the Wild West where you just have your hands and your legs maybe through a board. The Romans actually used this to torture you. They would fasten your feet in and arms in stocks that put you in a position that would cramp up your muscles and then you'd suffer all night long like a continual charley horse or dead leg all night long. How's that feel? And so they put them in that position and this is all because they are bringing a message of God's goodness and grace. This is their return. Now the next verse in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, if ever there's a moment to not pour out unmerited favor and grace on somebody, this is it. This, this is the moment where I don't think Paul is asked to, to say like, you know what, it's fine, God. This is fine. Whatever. If it were me, I would be, I don't, I don't know what I would be doing. Like, God, seriously, do you see this? What are you going to do about it? But we find in this moment, they're praising God and singing hymns, and they're not casting blame or even crying out for punishment to come on anyone else. They're understanding here that they've been giving the grace of God to their life, freely has been giving, given, Paul's life is rooted in grace, so here, instead of lashing out, he's offering grace. He's praising God. So we begin by understanding that a life in Christ is rooted in grace. The next thing that we see, and it pops up in this story, is your life in Christ is unchanged by your circumstances. Now, what I mean by that is not that circumstances, of course, change the course of our lives. Things happen, and it shapes us and, and, and makes us into who we are. But your life in Christ, your identity in Christ, does not change based on the circumstances that come to you. Paul writes throughout Philippians, whether I'm in chains or free, the, message, the point is that Christ is preached. He says, for me, to live is for Christ, and if I die, that's even better. I'm with him in paradise. I'm okay with either. 
In Philippians chapter 3, he says the secret to being content in every situation, whether I have plenty or whether I have nothing, is my life in Christ. And so Paul has this continual theme that your circumstances don't change your identity in Christ. Your life in Christ is secure based on the circumstance. It doesn't change. So we see now in Acts 16 when they're beaten with rods at midnight, they're singing and praising hymns to God because they understood that this situation wasn't changing their standing before God. They knew that, okay, we're in prison. We still believe that God sees us. We still believe he loves us. We still believe he cares about us. We still have reason to praise him, and so they're praising him. What were they singing? I have no idea. What does a worship song sound like when you're beaten and you're tied into stocks and your legs are cramping up and your back is cramping up and you're maybe being left for dead? What do those worship songs look like? I don't know. I thought of Psalm 62 where it says this. My soul waits in silence for God alone. My hope is from God. He only is my rock and salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God my salvation and glory rests. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Could it be that that was a song they're singing? We don't know. But whatever they were singing and praising God about, the prisoners were listening. Matt Chandler, who's a, a, a pastor in Texas, says this, The greater your knowledge and goodness of the grace of God on your life, the more likely you are to praise him in the storm. In the storm. The greater your knowledge of the goodness and grace of God on your life, the more likely you are to praise him in the storms. See, I believe that Paul and Silas were understanding they had a great knowledge of God's goodness and his grace on their lives. And when the storms came, they were able to praise him because they understood more and more that all things flow from him. It wasn't being taken away. So our life that's rooted in Christ doesn't change based on circumstances. You know, when we, uh, a few years ago, my wife and I and kids, we were living in Israel, we were studying there, we came back, and I, I planted, we were part of a church plant. And uh, it was a great time to plant a church, if you remember, with our economy, it was 2008. Um, People were just saying, how can I give more money to churches in, in 2008? Um, that was a time when the economy collapsed and, and people were losing their homes and losing their jobs. And we had just moved back to the country and were working in a church plant. And it was just great timing. Um, but we were doing that and I was also working in the corporate world to support it. And we were discovering new relationships and friendships in the school where our kids were going. And it was really a challenging time for our family. It's challenging enough to plant a church, but then you have some economic and financial struggles to go with that. You have just the emotional struggles of, of re-entering and of meeting new people. And then it even causes some struggles in the marriage. It was just a tough season in life. And when we got to, uh, we realized after a few years that we decided to, to close the doors and we folded into some other churches in the area and for about a year, I spent time just volunteering and being a part of a church in Orange County. And during that time, there was a lot of questions that were going on in our minds. Was, God, what is all of this, all of this education, all of this training, all of this experience, what is it leading to? Am I just going to go the corporate route? Am I going to go back and you know, work in the public schools? What do you want for me? It seems like maybe this church thing isn't working out anymore. 
And so it was a season where we were looking at it and the circumstances were confusing at times. I remember I was applying for, for work at a bunch of churches all over the country and just nothing was working out. But I realized during that time that it was a season where God wanted us where we were and we were learning and we were growing and things we were being shaped by our season of just volunteering, being a part of a church. We got very involved in it. We, we, we enjoyed it. We were you know, giving to the church. We were serving in the church. Sometimes on Sunday mornings, we slept in and didn't go. <laughs> you know, it, was, it was nice. So, um, <laughs> not that any of you would ever do that. But, but during that season of wondering, God, what is all of this about? Why are we here? What, is, what are you leading to? The question kept saying, like, God, I don't get it. I don't get the circumstances. But he kept saying, trust me in this. I'm shaping you for something. And at one moment when we just said, you know what, maybe I'm not going to, maybe we're not going to work in the church. I release it to you, God. I'm not even going to worry about it anymore. I got a call from Seacoast. And then I got a call back from two other churches. And all of a sudden he said, you're ready now. But those circumstances, what God wanted me to learn during that was it wasn't, that wasn't changing and shaping my my standing in Christ. My identity in him was not at risk ever. Whether I was in the corporate world, whether I was in the church world, whether my education made me important or didn't mean a thing, he said, that is not the point. You are my child and I want you where I want you. And when you learn that, then I can use you again. And it was a very freeing season of being shaped and prepared for something that I believe then made, helped me to do even a better job than I ever could have done. You see, sometimes those circumstances, we look at, they do shape us and change us, but the one thing that's secure is your life in Christ is never in doubt. It's never in doubt. And Paul and Silas understood that when they were in chains. And the last thing is this, your life in Christ should be defined by love. When we have a life in Christ, it's defined by love. Look at the rest of this story here. About midnight, Paul and Silas were singing and praising hymns to God. The prisoners were listening. In verse 26, suddenly there came a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. That is called God saying amen to your worship service. That is a great response right there. Their chains fall off their hands. And the and, and, and if it were me, I'd say, thank you, Lord, you heard us, I'm out, thanks, let's go. But look what happens, the jailer woke up, he saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, don't harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do? to be saved. You see, in this moment, Paul and Silas could have said, oh, he's going to kill himself. This will make it easy. The doors are already open. The chains fell off. All we need is a guard to, oh, he's gone. All right, let's go. But they, their life in Christ was defined by love. They looked at this guy who just beat them with rods. They looked at this guy who tied their feet and their arms in stocks, and they said, no, no, we don't want you to harm yourself. God loves you. We care about you. Their lives were defined by love, not revenge, not justice, not you get what you deserve. It was by love. And this guy's response was, what must I do to have what you have? Because what you have is different than anything else I've seen. 
and I want it. And we see that the story goes on and that Roman prisoner, or uh, jailer, became a follower of Jesus and his whole household did. And they bandaged up Paul and Silas and they took care of them. And the church plant was off and running with a Christian businesswoman, a slave girl, and a jailer. And they planted their church. <laughs> and 15 years later, Paul is writing to him and saying, hey, let your identity in Christ be the thing that defines you. And let love be a part of that life in Christ. Could you imagine what it would look like if every Christian in our country decided to be defined by love? Could you imagine if the hundred and some million Christians in our country said, we choose to fight against, we're going to reach across any line that, we, that is sitting out there and we are going to choose to be defined by love. I think our country could use it right now. I think that if we could lead the way and love the way Jesus loved, that I would be surprised if we didn't see radical changes happen. As we said, we're going to look beyond barriers. We're going to look beyond anything where you say, hey, you can't love those people because they don't believe what you believe. They don't look the way you look. They don't think the way you think. They actually don't even like you. But what if all the Christians said, yeah, but we are defined by love because our identity in Christ is secure and how they respond is not going to change that life of Christ in us. And so we reach out and we choose to live a different way, the way Jesus lived. What would that do? What does that do in a church when we choose to walk with one another in love and saying we know that some of you like one type of music, some like another. Some of you voted one way in the election, some vote another. But we choose to walk together in love and unity as Paul writes in the book of Philippians. Because what defines us are not those things, but it is we're defined by love. We're rooted in grace. God has a mission to do something in our world. He's been on mission. He's never given up. Lives are being transformed and changed. In little places, on a plane with someone, just somebody who says, I just gave up on church. All of a sudden, one conversation and they have hope again. God is on mission to redeem and restore people back into relationship with him. That's what he wants to do. And when we are rooted in, and defined by love, things change. Things change. So the challenge for us as we end is how will we respond? Maybe some of you just need to be set free from striving on your own and you feel like you've been scuffling and scuffling and trying to make yourself acceptable in the eyes of God and this morning he's telling you, I have done enough for you already. Just believe. Just believe. Believe in what I get offered to you. Some of you here this morning, you are living your lives and you're struggling with, yeah, but these people don't deserve my grace. They don't deserve my love. They don't deserve my favor. They don't deserve my forgiveness. Maybe it's a family member, maybe a coworker, maybe a neighbor. Maybe someone you don't even know, you just kind of know them from afar. But God today might be calling you to lay down your that part of you and offer unmerited grace to someone else. To be defined by love this morning. Is that a challenge for you? Maybe some of you, you're just being challenged to Get involved and serve someone. Maybe something even practical in the church. I know our children's ministry would love this for me to say it, so I'll say it. But maybe some of you, you say, I would love to work with our kids, but you know what? I, I need me time. So I can't always do that. But you know what? We, we need more people to help out raise our kids. We believe in 
uh, raising up godly kids in this country, in our church. There are families who come here every week. Some are just returning to faith, and they drop off their kids. You have an opportunity to serve those kids and introduce them to Jesus. Some of you have been hiding behind maybe uh, your own convenience, and you don't want to get involved. And maybe to this morning, God's saying, you know what? Extend a hand. Love and serve even our children, our youth. Maybe you can get involved in our Love Encinitas initiatives as we serve the kids at Sunset High School and Ocean Knoll Elementary. God's calling us to give up ourselves, defined by Him, lives rooted in grace and defined by love. How will you respond this morning? How will you respond? The good news that we have, and I want to invite the worship team to start making their way back up. The good news for us this morning is that we do have new life and we are free to love and to serve. We don't need to fight for status. When we love and serve others, we don't, we don't need that to make us better. You're free from that. You're free from your past. You're free from the shame in your life. You're free from your failures. You're free from your future mistakes. You are free in Christ Jesus. You're free from your circumstances, either good or bad. Those don't define you. Those don't have to change anything about your identity in Christ. You're free. You're free to be generous. You're free to serve. You're free to give. Because your stuff doesn't define you. It doesn't bring you more. It doesn't make you feel better. We have that freedom in Christ. We're free to release and just trust God and believe that if He is good and in control, if He's in control in the, little, in the big things, He's in control of the little things in your life. This morning we have this freedom that comes in Christ. Throughout the whole book of Philippians, we've been looking at that. And this morning, I just want to ask us all to respond to that and say, do we want to be the church in Encinitas that's defined by life in Christ Jesus and in nothing else? And let his life live through you, be rooted in grace, not defined by your circumstance, and defined by love. Can we be that kind of church? We're going to end our worship time here today, and I want to ask you all to stand, and we're going to sing this last song. So uh, stand with me here. And as we sing this last song, I want this song to sort of be an, an anthem for us as we end. An anthem just to say, God, because you have set us free, because you have removed the chains in our lives, we are now free to be the people that you've called us to be. And so we're going to end with this last song, and let's use it as an anthem, as a cry, as a church, to say, God, Nothing's going to hold us back from being the church you called us to be. We give this time to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for everyone in here. I thank you that our, life, our lives are defined by you and you alone. That we have true life in you. That we've been set free from our past. We've been set free from our future. We've been set free from needing to prove ourselves. We've been set free from needing to be better than someone else. We are now free to love and to give your unmerited grace. God, I thank you for what you've given to us. And now as we respond in this last song, let this be our prayer, our praise to you of our life and what it looks like now in you. We give you this time. Amen.